You started your business to help others. Somewhere along the way, you lost the capability of doing it on your own. Imagine how much different your business would be with an extra $10,000. Would you pay your rent? Would you buy new equipment? Would you pay your coaches more? Would you pay yourself? What if you could do that and donate to others? We started our business to help you. Finally, a, a payment solution for the micro gym space. We are proud to introduce you to WheelPay, a platform that allows you to both save money and be generous. With giving partners like the Phoenix, the Navy SEAL Foundation, the Green Beret Project, and other charitable organizations, you can trust that your donations will make a massive difference in the lives of others. Saving has never been easier. Giving has never been easier. Pay better. Do better. We'll pay. We are here because we are dedicated to helping the entire CrossFit community. Determined to elevate coaches, box owners, athletes, and everything in between, we believe that this mission will begin right here, right now. While this time and this goal begins with you, our hope is that you take this fire ignited within you and weave it into your own life with the same unrelenting passion to give those you have the privilege of coming in contact with the best hour of their day. All right, guys, this is it. Our, we always say we have a special guest. This is potentially our most special guest ever. Do you still prefer the in front of your name? Is that on your birth certificate now? <laughs> Not yet. I'm working on that. <laughs> well, well, we've got the Dave Castro on, and we really want to approach this from a slightly different angle. You guys know Dave as the guy behind the CrossFit Games, but he's also one of the longest tenured seminar staff members and an old school coach. He came up uh, back in the day. I think you even had an affiliate at one point. Is that true? Yeah, I kind of, well, I, I still have an affiliate. CrossFit Ranch is technically under my name at this point. Um, but back in the day, I didn't, I did a lot of training at the SEAL teams, but didn't have a facility. Right. So yeah, you, you, you have an affiliate and that's what we're all about. You know, everybody else wants to hear about this and that about programming for the games and your relationship. And obviously there was drama, you know, a few weeks and months ago, we want to hear about coaching. So my first question to you is one of the longest you may even be the longest tenured CrossFit seminar staff member at this point. Yes, it, but the thing is, unless you, at what point did I stop training on the seminar staff? So there is, I will say that some of the guys now like Chuck uh, and, and Todd even, some of the, these old school, Eric, both Eric's who are still teaching, they, they've taught on the road way longer than I have. Yeah, I mean, Fern and I each have over 200, so we may be beyond you at this point as yeah, well, but for sure. But you've been around, you've been there. So you've seen at that time, especially dozens, if not more interns trying to get their red shirt. So, well, yeah, I mean, so I wasn't on the, I wasn't teaching courses for a very long time, but I was uh, overseeing the team and the process for for a very long time, all up until basically, um, you know, eight months ago. Well, so with that being said, with someone interning, what would you say if someone's going through that process today, top three do's and don'ts 
to actually make it from intern to redshirt. Okay, top three do's. Um, show up with a willingness to listen and learn. Don't be, don't have any ego. And um, no matter how you've come up in the training space or what you've learned, understand that this is a different environment and our team has um, a, uh, a specific way of, of, of teaching and interacting and doing that might not be exactly how you do it at home, but that's also okay. Understand that uh, this system is, is unique and, and is proven and that integration into it is, is critical for buy-in from, from everyone. And finally, um, you know, have fun with it and, and don't get so stressed out by the process and don't be stiff because you want to make a team. Those are the big three do's. The don'ts are um, in the intern process, kind of just go with the flow and do what's expected of you and, and really listen to your mentor or whatever trainer you're working with. Take their cues and um, at times just fly under the radar and do what you're asked. Don't try to, don't try to step in and take, I've seen this happen with interns where on like their first intern, they want to prove to everybody how great of a trainer they are. And they step in and start teaching over a senior red shirt, which isn't exactly the best way to start off in that environment. Yeah, you can, it's, it's best to sometimes be unnoticed, but yes. do your job. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I, I've said that about Nicole before. I said, people say, oh, do you talk to Nicole a lot? I go, I avoid Nicole because yeah. I can only go down, right? Like I cannot do a whole lot to move up the ranks, but if she doesn't notice me, that's a good thing as well. Do you, oh, that's funny. Can you, can you think of, who would you say is the hardest flow master in, to be interning under? Oh, that's, geez, for a while. I mean, I don't want to dime them out because they're still on the team. Um, I'll say Nadia gives great feedback on people. Nadia's great. She's Nadia holds a, a high standard. She comes to mind um, as as someone who, you know, is unassuming almost, but yet very on top of it and and really uh, trying to maintain the integrity integrity of the team and the the high performing nature of it. Yeah, I remember interning and. I think the women were a little harder to be interning under than some of the men. Yeah, I think that might be the case too. I think that might be the case too. So every, every weekend that we work, inevitably someone comes up to us and says, hey, I wanna get on staff. What does it take? How can I do it? You've heard that as well, I'm sure dozens of times. Do you have a memory of someone saying that to you and then the next time you saw them, they had earned their red shirt? Oh man, that's a great question. Someone's saying that to me and the next time I saw, you know, um, yeah, I, I need to think about that. I was gonna say one person, but they did not end up making it. I've had a few people who've said that to me. I think those almost stand out more, those who've said it to me who end up not making it. Oh, but here's a, here's, a, here's a different version. After the games one year, I said to Margo Alvarez, her first year, I said, hey, Margo, you know, you have a great personality and you seem really passionate. Have you ever thought about trying out for the team? And she said, I'd love to. And then she ended up trying out. And I remember her making the team. And I was, uh, I was really happy that she did. because she, she does have such great energy and personality. And she's a good coach, too. 
and now she's got a blind. She's not on the team anymore. Hold the no. record, right? Still, yeah, I wasn't sure. Do, do you find, is especially back in the day, the games athletes were very quick transitions to staff, and nowadays, yeah, that's a great question. So back in the day, it was all kind of part of the same circle and family. In this, like, the games athletes were also affiliate owners. The games athletes were also trainers. A lot of the games athletes also came on seminar staff because it was just this whole like this complete 360 circle of involvement. Annie Thor's daughter, Camille, Rich, um, even Austin and James, Margot. There was a lot of that going on. Jason Khalifa. Um, nowadays, that is not the case at all. <laughs> these athletes, like, so you're not seeing these, I'll call it 360 involved in the community, elite athlete, affiliate owner, um, trainer and seminar staff trainer. Now you just have these guys, there's this generation of just elite athletes. A lot of them are not trainers. A lot of them don't own affiliates. And at this point, pretty much none of them are on the seminar staff. I guess you can say Pete Shaw, cause he's still, he's still competing at a high level. Uh, he's a games athlete, he's on seminar staff and owns an affiliate. But for the most part, the biggest guys and the dominant guys are not involved. Whereas back then, yeah, Kalipa, Froning, Spiel, a lot of them were involved. Yeah, judged with Pete two or three years ago, and then the next year he qualified. I think that was the year it went virtual. But you know, you know, it's you know, back in the day, you're right, and I think that's just a testament to having to devote your life to training to make it to that level. Where I mean, that's what I used to say about Austin. What's so impressive about you is not that you're making it to the games, but that you're doing it despite traveling every weekend, running an affiliate, doing all these things behind the scenes, and you're still competing at that level. And of course, he's gotten older. Yeah. But I, do you think that's even possible? Do you think someone can do as much as Austin's doing for CrossFit and still make the games? Yes, but... Um but it's becoming increasingly difficult to do that. I mean, again, even I think maybe Pete's doing that because Pete, he's advanced to quarterfinals. Let's see if he makes it to the games. Um, it's just becoming more rare and rare to see people having multiple, their hands in multiple things and perform at that level. And let's be real, Tremblay's the brains behind <laughs> the affiliate. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> So, so this day and age, seminars are a well-oiled machine. There's 10 or more level one, level two seminars around the world every weekend. Back in the day, it wasn't quite as organized. What was the craziest kind of trial by fire thing you got thrown into during a weekend? And do you have any advice that stuck with you from the old guard that you still think about today? Well, interestingly, in the... And back in the day, one of the craziest things for me was how we ran the seminars. And so um, when we were doing it, when I was doing it with Nicole and Greg, Tony, uh, almost every seminar we would do, Greg and Nicole would sit at a Starbucks and figure out the schedule for that seminar that, that morning. And like, they, there was no, when, when we did seminars with Greg, there was not, there was no two seminars that had the same schedule. They were always changing. Greg was like, I want to do this, or I want to try this. The lectures and everything was pretty much, well, and let me say that, the lectures were not the same. When Greg did it, the lectures were very different. So um, 
I mean, he would sometimes do what is CrossFit. He'd sometimes do what is CrossFit and what, what is fitness combined. He would experiment with putting them in different places. And that was wild. And then basically they would come up with that. And, and I would, I was expected to execute on it in terms of like, all right, now I was the original Flowmaster. Here's the, uh, we're going to put this into application now and we're going to make this work. And so that period was, uh, was nuts to me. And then when Greg decided to come off the road, he basically, and this is what I'm going to say to what I remember, he said, hey, you and Nicole are going to make or break this program and make or break CrossFit. You're going to scale it and it's going to be bigger than anything we've ever done, or you're going to fail and it's all going to collapse. So we, we were tasked with scaling it. And to those numbers you just said, I'd say even pre-COVID, there was uh, times when we were doing upwards of 20 level ones and over 10 level twos, and then two, three, four kids. So, I mean, we'd had about around 30, 35 courses in one weekend coming from a place where in the beginning we were doing one course every week, not one course a month when I first got involved. Yeah, I mean, I had to go to Toronto and I was interacting with Nicole in 2007. She's like, you can go to Pennsylvania this month or Toronto next month. And that was, that was, those were my options. <laughs> yeah. I believe you gave the GHD lecture in Toronto at that level one. Probably, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I believe yeah. you. So, and, and then, so do you have any advice? You know, here, here's what people don't know. You, you, you have to kind of move forward when you do the lectures or you kind of earn the right, the privilege to, to get more responsibility. And the, the generic advice you will get, I'm sure you've heard this before, sounds something like don't fuck it up that's basically the advice you get like not like hey when you get to the push press say this it's don't fuck it up did you get any advice along the way that you remember well well you know what's funny about that advice is like it's easy advice to give because when you if you look through the manual and you look through what's expected of you it's all laid out so clearly so like if i was talking to someone about how to give the push press it's like read study what's being um given to you to present and just follow that and, and don't fuck up you'll be fine because there's there's not too many magic um pills to be given at that point other than just follow that do i remember any advice from that period um you know around greg it was really i think a, in the beginning all the seminar he taught all the lectures at all the seminars and then there was a phase where he started easing up and then Nicole started teaching seminars, I'm sorry, lectures. And, uh, and then eventually I started helping. And it was like, there was, we were all so nervous of not doing well in front of him. And so we would, we would try to support each other and Tony Buddy too, he would start, start uh, he started doing some uh, lectures, but I can't think of any advice. I can just think of the feeling of like, like, man, is Greg hanging around? Can someone make sure Greg's out here so he's not like sitting there staring at us in the back, judging us during our lectures? And we always kind of tried to like, hey, maybe you can like ask Greg if he wants to go get a coffee before we go up. And even to this day, up until last year, but even to this, like the last um, couple of years, if we'd show up at a seminar and Greg was with us, the trainers, no matter how experienced they are, get so fucking nervous because Greg's there listening to them. And that, that resonates with me and I, I understood it. Not because he was gonna like come down on you, but just because he's the guy who created it and you're basically having to give uh, his material in your voice 
and say the concepts that he created. So of course you're wondering, what is he thinking about what I'm saying, about what he created? <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because you realize we feel the same about you and Nicole now. <laughs> yeah, I kind of do, but I didn't want to say that. You know, Chuck is notorious every Saturday morning. Hey, don't forget the Dave and Nicole rule. You know, doesn't matter what city you're in. Hey, there's an airport over there. And we know they can fly, like everybody, we're like Chuck, we're in like Destin, Florida. You really think Dave's flying into here? But I have, I have done that to him. I have, I have shown up. You did that for his birthday, right? Yeah, yeah, I did that there too, but other times. But there was one time for me, I was in New York City demoing and Nicole walks in. And I'm like, oh shit, you know, this is like the demo girl. And here I am trying to live up to it. So it's similar, but yes, we are just okay. as nervous. Good thing you move well. <laughs> yeah, you're very kind. So uh, over, over the years, you've seen the seminar morph a tremendous amount. It's changed, like you said, things would, whether it was Greg doing the lectures, you, but also just different evolutions of the weekend. So yeah. what's one thing that you, we used to do that you miss? And what's one thing that you're glad we got rid of? Well, one thing I'm glad we got rid of is we used to do these monster station rotations where like, and this was another thing during the Greg era, it'd be like, let's teach him how to kettlebell swing here. Let's teach him how to do the GHD here. And there was like six or seven stations where people would learn stuff and they just rotate through. And every seminar would be different. And it all depended on what equipment they had. Um, I'm really glad that that way, because it was chaotic and really hard to run. And just like the same people, people were teaching the same station over and over and over. Um, it was fun, but I'm glad that's not there. Something that I'm happy that we, well, programming kind of was never around when we were doing the Greg stuff. Because um, Greg's really like indifferent to programming in terms of like, he thinks it's so easy for people to do. And like, we never believed that. And we believe people needed some instruction and guidance on it. So that was kind of something like I created that original lecture. It's changed a lot since then. And um, I was really happy to see that put in, in the way we did it. Because uh, if, if Greg had, if we had, uh, if Greg had made that decision, there would be no program. There's a lot of things, he's so intelligent and he's so like, on top of these things that he assumes it's easy for everyone. And, and the, the fact of the matter is, as we well know, a lot of this stuff, especially the coaching, is not easy for everyone. He thinks things come to people as, easy, as easily as they come to him. And that's not the that's a, that's a challenge for a lot of coaches that we work with. We forget how much time and how much we've learned and how little someone that just walks into the box for the first time actually knows that the programming lecture has morphed probably more than any lecture over the I mean from back in the day where we'd program together, even at the level one and, and the level two lecture has changed recently as well. And, and uh, nutrition changed a lot, a hand, a good number of times in, in its delivery and its tempo and its pace. What is crossing? What is fitness? Little changes. Techniques changed a handful of times too over the years. Uh, technique was another one that um, conceptually technique was wrapped into what is fitness and Greg would kind of give those concepts in the same lecture. And then once we had to scale, so this isn't a question you asked, but I'm going to talk about it. Once Greg pulled off and we had to scale it, 
we had to standardize those lectures. And that was the big challenge. So we had to take this chaotic environment of Greg giving different lectures and Greg changing it every time and then make them into scalable lectures. And when I say scalable lectures, lectures that I could give one weekend and in the same weekend I could hand to you and you could also give. So we had to write this material down. We had to standardize it. We had to make it consistent. I'll say consistent and, and uh, distribute it to, to a number of our staff to, to then give and deliver. And that process going through that was, uh, was a wild time because we were writing lectures and editing lectures and changing. And you, were you at the summit we did in um, Colorado? We did a trainer summit in Colorado a number of years ago. No. First trainer summit. And that one we ended up, we had, we had a, I remember we were putting together this training manual that had all the lecture and we went through it lecture by lecture. And it was pretty, uh, we had a lot of debate and there was uh, some arguments in the room about points of the lectures and about things, way we're, ways we we're going to deliver stuff. And Tony Budding was there. I think John Gilson might've been there and he challenged a lot of uh, areas and Tony and there were some heated arguments. That doesn't sound like John. If, if, if you had to give a lecture right now, I said, Dave, give a lecture, which one would you feel the most confident in giving? I would uh, demo, or I'm sorry, demo, deadlifts. I would feel com comfortable giving pretty much any of the movement lectures. I think the movements are pretty easy to give, generally speaking. Um, they're not, but I do feel that way about them. Like, I'm really confident in those. And programming, I would least want to give uh, nutrition right now. <laughs> Uh, then maybe GHD, I feel really comfortable about that. But I'd probably start with the, with the movement lecture. Yeah, you, you, you can't go wrong as long as you've studied. Yeah, yeah, and those are also like, it's so part of our, our life and our system and way of training. Like we're doing the movements every day on our own. So you're just reinforcing concepts, reminded, reminded of concepts, living in that world. And if you're training, you're definitely training people in those movements. So that's why they're also a good first, like the entry level uh, lecture. That being said, it still amazes me how people are able to pump them into the sand and sometimes fuck them up <laughs> and not do um, a good job with them. But that I think that comes from nerves and first time lecturing and such. I think first time and then long time. The longer you lecture, those are the people that take three hours to do the deadlift lecture. They want to give you everything they've ever learned about the deadlift, not just the points of performance. That's a challenge for people is just like keeping it tight and delivering what's needed. So, so the whole programming course can move on. One thing I'd tell myself, this is, I don't know if someone told me this or not, but I always reminded myself of it. And it's advice I give to people is like every time you teach a seminar or every time you give a lecture, uh, view it as if it's the first time ever you've done either of those. It's a view it as if it's the first seminar you've ever been to and work and lecture as if it's the first lecture you've ever given and have that passion and enthusiasm and even nerves, even like that you want to perform it. I, I agree. And one thing Austin Maliolo, speaking to him, he said to me, this won't be your best. It won't be your worst. You know, to just get up there and give it. That's good. CrossFit's now offering an online on-ramp, and I think that's going to be tremendous for the affiliates. I think it's going to help send thousands of new people that are maybe intimidated or afraid of CrossFit. They can start at home and then head to the affiliate. Pre-pandemic, 
you were dropping into CrossFit affiliates pretty regularly. What is one thing that you look for at an affiliate that would either make you want to join it or not want to join it? Okay, so generally speaking, uh, when I drop into affiliates, like I'm trying not to judge them. And, and because a lot of people, like when I drop in, are nervous and say, oh, are you here to evaluate us? Are you here to report on us? And I tell people, no, like I'm not here. I'm just here to show support and say hello. Um, that being said, though, I think, you know, for me, the things that I look, if I were to walk into affiliate, I do like seeing like um, well-organized, well-maintained, uh, clean space, equipment, a, a good looking uh, presentation of the gym, of, of everything related to the, to the gym, the equipment, the, the, the barbells, the floor, the bathrooms, uh, that stuff matters to me. And then of course, um, organized training and trainers that care and are passionate and that present professionally. Those are the things that I, I would look for if I train at an affiliate. There is, um, I don't train at an affiliate, I train in my garage and I've done that for a number of years. There was a phase when I decided to train in every single CrossFit affiliate in San Diego, San Diego County. And that turned out that was like 98 affiliates. And so it took me, I think it was four or five months, maybe three or four of, of driving all around the county every day training at an affiliate. And at that, when I said train at an affiliate, the, the, the standard was I had to show up during a class and take the class and take the hour long class for it to count. And uh, I learned a lot about myself and about the affiliates and I really enjoyed it. And um, I got in pretty good shape too. And there was a period when, because San Diego, San Diego County is pretty big. When I had to start driving to the Southern part of the county, it's like a 45 minute hour long drive, sometimes more, especially if there's traffic. I started doubling up and I'd say, okay, these two gyms are a couple miles apart. These guys have a class from four to five. These guys have a class from five to six. I'm gonna start doing two a days just to knock and be efficient and to knock out the drop-ins. And I started doing that. And I'll tell you what, the, the funniest thing was like the repetition of movement that I would see and go through was gnarly. Like I'd do some gyms where the, the workout here was kettlebell swings, pull-ups and row. Then and, uh, I'd drive right over to another gym and the workout's kettlebell swings and uh, pull-ups. And, and I survived. And so like it also in my mind, and then multiple days in the row, I would do the same stimulus, squatting, 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 because I'm not going to a gym and my body was fine. I actually got in really good shape. And in all of that, and I tell people this and people struggle, like I, I didn't run into 98 gyms, 97 gyms. They were all really fucking good experiences. It's not like 50% of them were bad. It's not like 70% of them were bad. It's not like 90% or 10% you go about going the wrong way. It's not like 20% were bad. It's not like 10% were bad. There was one experience I had where the trainer was not engaged. And I remember that one. And the trainer, it was literally like from our level two handbook of like what you're not supposed to do. And the trainer was on his phone during the workout and the trainer was distracted and the trainer was drinking coffee and and not engaged in the athletes and i was like wow like so i went to all these gyms unannounced i one of my things was not telling anyone i was showing up because i didn't want them to um to prepare or to have people there to make a big deal out of it and um 
And this guy knew who I was. And I was like, that's pretty interesting that like, here I am and you're not like even faking it. <laughs> so, but even that being said, that experience was not reckless. It was not dangerous. It was just a disengaged coach. And um, so when I, when I hear stuff where I hear people say like all these bad affiliates and all these dangerous gyms, I'm like, whatever, fucking point them out. You know, that's the first question. When people talk about that, who? Tell me one. And then let's go to that one and let me see why. And listen, so if someone says that gym's dangerous or that gym uh, sucks, well, let's go there and let's ask the 100 to 150 clients that their lives are being changed in that affiliate why this gym sucks or why this gym's dangerous or why this isn't a good gym. All right, so that stuff to me, I have like a really strong reaction to because uh, every one of these is a beacon for change and a beacon for like making someone better, regardless of like, here's our, our level one seminar staff trainers in terms of training. And then here's maybe some newer affiliates. They're not there, but the impact that they both have on people is the same. And sometimes there's trainers that are even down here in their knowledge and their ability to train, but they're still changing people's lives. And they, and these guys are level one trainers. Guess what? They didn't start here either. They, I don't think they started here, but they started somewhere up here and then they got to this point. So I'm really uh, passionate about supporting our community and our affiliates because I've seen so much, I see all the good that they've done and I've experienced it. It's like, pizza. It's, like so it's like pizza, right? Even, even bad pizza is better than no pizza. Uh, yeah, that's a good point, but there is some really fucking bad pizza. <laughs> Do you feel pressure to stay in shape? That's a great question. I feel, that's a really good question. I don't, I see a place where like, it's funny when I work out, I'm like, I could never see a future where I'm not doing this, where I'm not crossfitting, where I'm not doing like pure classic CrossFit. I, in the open, when the open comes around, there's been years where I felt pressure to be in, to do decent. That kind of went away the last two or three years. I'm like, I don't have to perform at the highest level. And I'm saying for myself, not on the leaderboard. Um, and that kind of stress is gone. I, it's important to me to be, to stay in shape, mainly because of the other things I do that being fit helps me with. Um, shooting, hunting, running, the things I like to do. I really do use CrossFit to benefit those other things. I don't feel pressure to stay in shape, but I feel like it's just such a part of my life that it'll never, um, it'll never change. It's funny because I'm like such a pure core CrossFitter where I do one workout a session. I don't do, you know, multiple things. And maybe six, seven months ago, a year ago, I saw the, you know, for the past few years, you've seen all these people doing isolation movements and supplemental stuff. And I decided to like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to try some curls, see what they're raging. I'm going to do three sets of 10 with, with the barbell and some weight. I did like three or four. And I'm like, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> and I've never done it. It's boring. It's so boring. It's so boring. And I'm like, like, while I'm doing it, I'm like, do I really fucking care about my little skinny arms getting bigger? I'm like, no, I don't. 
Like I'm such a purist, I just care about my engine and being able to do a wide variety of functional movements that help me with other things. And it was funny because I remember curling, I'm like, this is stupid. I don't care if my arms get bigger or not. <laughs> and so like, I just abandoned that. And I, and I feel good about, and I feel best when I'm just doing standard CrossFit. And here's the other thing. I think we need to talk more about this, but um, I don't know if we, yeah, we should talk more about this. I oftentimes, so often now, am okay going, let's call it 70% or 80%. I do so many workouts where it's not going through the motions because even CrossFit at 70% is still fucking work. And um, I don't have to redline all the time and I'm okay with that. That's one of the biggest changes as I've aged compared to Dave. So I've been doing CrossFit for 15, 16 years. When I look at the first maybe decade, I definitely redlined every time I worked out. And, you know, truthfully, I was fitter. Now I've decided I'm going to sacrifice some potential fitness for just being happy and moving and, and getting, I am getting fitness out of it. I do recognize if I was to train really hard, um, my fitness would be better. I also think my recovery, I need to tweak. I need to recover a little more. Um, good thing. So, good thing whoop is a part of CrossFit now. What was board. that? I said, we got whoop now ah. on board so you can check your recovery. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I've had this discussion with people for years now, and I think there's a misconception that the level one lecture and technique and intensity, or you know, when we talk about, it's during the CrossFit lecture intensity, and we talk about relative intensity. And oftentimes it's just kind of lumped, like grandma's intensity is relative compared to Tia, and they're doing the same workout. But relative intensity is also unique to the individual on any given day. On how they feel, on how where they're at, on what their goals are, for sure. I, I have no problem doing um, Cindy and say, I'm going to get 15 rounds. And then there's another day where I'm doing Cindy and I'm saying, I'm going to try for 20. You know, and like I have different goals within workouts depending on where I'm at. You know what I recently switched? Um, since I started CrossFit till a month ago, I was three on one off religiously. Like no matter what in my life through this whole 15 year period, 16 years of doing CrossFit, three on one off religiously. Recently, I was like, okay, I feel like I need a little more rest because uh, I just, I don't recover as quickly. I'm sore, perpetually sore in my legs, <laughs> it feels like. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to, tweak my schedule to accommodate an old schedule that I used to lecture about in the programming lecture, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And so I switched my routine to three on, okay, Monday through Wednesday on, Thursday off, Friday, Saturday on, Sunday off, and that's my new routine. So it's three on, one off, two on, one off. And uh, what I get is a, a cycle of two with a rest instead of three rest, three rest, three rest. And I get rigidity. I get a fixed schedule that's easy to remember. And I fucking love it because like there was, especially with all the travel, I was like, well, is today my rest day or is today my work day? And by the time I hit my three days, I was usually beat or just really sore. So I'm, I'm enjoying the three on one off, two on one off cycle. And when you look at it in a month, it's funny because I laid it out in a month. It only buys you one extra rest day, but still mentally like being able to do two and then take a rest day is huge. 
So I'm really enjoying this cycle as a, as a person who trains from home. And it, someone asked me recently, uh, hey, do you really, like, what do you do on your rest day? Do you like active swim or, do you, or recovery swim or recovery run or hike? And I'm like, no. Like, even from the get, like a rest day for me is a true fucking rest day. Like I need to, I'll tell you what, these young athletes, their rest day can be a recovery swim. A, a swim is a workout for me. There is no recovery in any of those efforts. Because most of the time, if I'm running or swimming, I'm, I'm, I'm moving and I'm not like just chilling out. I, I think that's probably more common these days. I mean, that's exactly what I do. I think that's more common these days for people to go three on one off, two on, I mean, for life purposes. I think Thursdays has basically become international rest day in most affiliates where- yeah. And, and I'm super happy with that. And I think because I never trained at an affiliate, it was really easy for me to fall in the three on one off cycle. On that note, one other sidebar, something else I changed recently. So like I am, um, I drink, you know, um, in the evenings, I'll have a glass of wine or a, or a whiskey of, of late and, um, or I don't drink. And what I mean by that is like when I, especially like before the games for the last three or four years, the month leading up to the games, I go completely dry. Uh, last year for the Open, the last few years for the Open, I didn't do it this year, leading up to the Open, I'd go completely dry for a month and I wouldn't drink anything. So I'm always in these cycles and they go back and forth throughout the year, not drinking at all or drinking every evening. And I was like, okay, this is all a little, um, it's, all, it's all in or it's not, it's too extreme. I'm like, I need some middle ground with that. So I was like, how about this? Kind of at the same time I decided to do this Monday, Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday cycle. I said, how about Monday through Thursday, you don't drink. And Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you have a drink or you can drink. And I switched to that. And for me, it's been great. Like, so Monday through Friday, uh, Friday evening, I drink. Monday through Friday, I don't drink. And then on the weekend, um, and I've never done that in my life. Like I said, it's always been all in or nothing at all. And those two things for me have been recent lifestyle changes that I've uh, really enjoyed. I think people listening can benefit just from that. We get so rigid, even in our CrossFit training, whether it's the intensity or the days we train, like we forget this is supposed to benefit your life. And you're, you're not going to be at that high level that it matters if you train on a Thursday or not. And, and speaking of my next question, the, the top 10% moved on this year and gotcha. in it. So in it, there was a workout with 180 GHD setups. I worked a seminar that weekend. This girl was smashed. Uh-huh. So I started thinking about it. You know, a lot of the athletes that qualified either don't get on a GHD often, or they're just not ready for that volume. How would you not the Dave Castro, but if you were coaching an affiliate, how would you have navigated that telling someone, Hey, I don't think you should do this workout, although you qualified. The reality is to finish that in under 20 minutes was really a monumental task anyways. Like the best guys were finishing it in 20. So for most people and most athletes who weren't at that level or condition, they, it wasn't 180. You know, it was how far are you going to get? How much work? How many of those are you going to do? So that's one perspective, one way to look at it. Um, Another way, if, if you were a coach and you felt that that was negligent for your athlete because he was going to be able to get through, 
it's like, hey, maybe just slow up on everything and just slow down on, on the GHDs, take frequent rest. So the set of, uh, let's say the set of 50, do five sets of 10 and go ahead and take 10, 20 seconds rest. I think, I think it's built in there that you could have taken enough rest and or not finished to where the true volume for even some of these people that did get crushed was way less than 180. Now, when you say the true volume was way less than 180, if it was 150, there's no excuse. I mean, like, I'm serious, like 150, I used to do 150 GHD, not right now, but I used to do in my 40, late 30s, and it was no problem. And that's a problem with the community is there's such a de-emphasis on doing that movement and being strong in it that um, I think we saw that. And it's like the 100 pound dumbbell and it's like so many other things. There's always these little phases. Where we remind people, we, we introduce things that like, hey, stay on top of this. Wall walks, great example. <laughs> now everybody's gonna be doing those, which is awesome. That fucking movement was great. I loved it. Um, I think so that the disconnect with the GHC is probably more so just they're cumbersome and expensive relative to all the other equipment you need in an affiliate that can store on a wall and are scalable. But that's a different, so that's like a, the disconnect there you're talking about is more like how to um, integrate it into a class, right? For, for all those reasons, yes, you're saying that's a hard, it's a hard way to keep it in a class. But if you're a top athlete, if you're a 10%, top 10% athlete, um, you're really good, one. And two, that's a movement you should be doing and you should be familiar with and you should be uh, able to handle. You look at guys like, and he's a bad example because he's the best in the world, but Rich Froning. I mean, he does so many GHD sit-ups and like no issue with that, of course, no issue with that workout. Remember, uh, fuck, eight, nine years ago, I did GHD Annie and, uh, and I did that in like 8.30 and that's 150, uh, sit-ups and then a bunch of guys did it and they did it way faster and and even that workout a number of years later we put it in regionals i think or games and um and it's like it's been around but if you don't see it or it hasn't been in like the online competitions to this degree people ignore it and there's some things that like if you pay attention to our history you shouldn't ignore it do, do you think 10 percent was the right call uh, I think it was a good, it was, it was the right call this year, this year. I think it could be less. I think it could be 5% and that'd be maybe more appropriate. But at this point, I think the reception to it was really like good. And people in that, let's call it, let's say I did make it 5% next year. Um, six through 10 would be really disappointed. And like six through 10% really people, were proud to have advanced to that stage. And people were really like, they wore that achievement with pride. So I could see it staying, although the, the competitive nature that I naturally live in of pushing the envelope and pushing people does kind of, kind of want to bring it down to five, but we're not ready to make that decision. We'll probably say 10 just because of the more inclusive nature of that. Yeah, for the record, I almost made it, which I think is a sign that it was too big. So, <laughs> so, yeah, you're, you're pretty good. When, when, when you think about programming for the Open, where is your balance as far as this is a test of fitness and we need to find the best and obviously the season is bigger 
And I think people forget that it's just a small section of the season, you know, relative, you know, it's, it's just part of it, but, but where's the balance between that and actually how much of a clusterfuck is this going to be for affiliates? In other words, we got to tape 20 foot lines so you can do overhead walking lunges or you got to tape up the walls. It's, it's probably hard to balance, but how much of that are you thinking about? A lot. And look at this year. You take a look at this first workout, all you needed was a jump rope and a wall. And so very minimal space and very little equipment. So that was very accommodating to, to affiliates, I believe, and to people who couldn't make it to an affiliate. Then even the second workout, all you needed was a box and a dumbbell. That the, both of those were very deliberate by nature. Very minimal equipment, a little more equipment, and then you take a look at week three, and it was like, bam, okay, no excuses. You need all this stuff now. That was, I mean, a barbell and a pull-up bar really was all you needed for week three. But, but yes, exactly. But pull-up bars alone can be a significant, like some gyms only have four or five, right? So it could be in terms of heats and in terms of getting people through, sometimes that could be something that uh, limits an affiliate's ability to have a lot of people going through at the same time. Whereas weeks one and two, so, so yes, absolutely. Then when you back up and take a look at years past, yeah, sometimes when you have the 20 foot walks, the lunges or the handstand walks, there's some small affiliates who get really upset by that. And we get complaints like, hey, I'm this gym that's this big in, in Bogota, and we don't have we don't have 20 feet to walk and or only one person can do it at a time and it's like we have to balance that and weigh that but some of those decisions have to still be made and stood by because um this extreme outlier we can't accommodate the extreme outlier in every case you know there's still the test and the stimulus and a unique piece that is important to to get in and, and making sure the competition is fair whether you're doing it at home or an affiliate for that, you know, one of the things I saw was people complaining about the eight feet, but part of that, and people don't realize it's like, hey, we're also keeping you safe in case someone flies off a pull-up bar, they're not yeah. gonna land on a barbell. Absolutely, yep. Who's, whose idea was it to announce 21.3 and four earlier in the day? Um, that's a mistake. <laughs> I liked it. I was able to hit it on. I, I thought it was great. <laughs> I thought it was great, though. So with that being said, as you're programming the Open, how would you explain to somebody what it feels like to write something that you know thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are going to do, they're going to be talking about, they're going to be doing it multiple times, but basically three to five days revolve around it in their lives. What's that feeling like for just someone like you to, to feel? It's really tough. There's a lot of pressure and stress on it. And there's a lot of, uh, there's some satisfaction and reward in people's response to it. But like when I'm programming these workouts, I'm trying to balance staying true to CrossFit and core methodology, staying true to our team, our people, staying true to those I respect, and then giving a good test. And like when I hit those things, when I stay true to CrossFit, when I um, stay true to the people that I respect and trust in the space and um, have a good test, then oftentimes the excitement and the satisfaction 
comes with that. I don't try to program for the excitement or the satisfaction of the people, or don't try to program. Oftentimes a program I'm like this is, it's kind of like, I know it's gonna be powerful, but on paper, it's kind of like a dud. Or it's like, well, what's that? But then you see people start doing, they're like, oh my God, this is such a great test. I love this. Thank you for challenge us, challenging us, or thank you for taking us outside of our comfort zones. And so you have to not, you have to not chase the shiny object. And it's so easy to do in programming. When you look at even the first workout, I mean, it was pretty like wall walks and double unders, really? Are you kidding me? But then when you look at how they were put together and how it was, the reps were and how the dose was, it turned out to be a really hard, a good test. And um, same thing with the snatch burpee workout, that was a repeat. And so you have to, you have to believe in the stimulus and you have to believe in the test on paper for when it is put out to the world that it'll be an appropriate test. I also think I worry that sometimes the only time some people are going 100% is in the open. I feel like when I hear sometimes people are like, oh my God, that was the hardest test ever. Or that was such a brutal workout. It's like, then what are you doing on a regular basis? Because they should be hard on a pretty regular basis anyways. And you should be revisiting benchmarks and, and trying to go faster. Um, but yeah, I feel pressure from it. And I do know like everyone's expecting it to be good, but I have to balance like, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Don't try to do, I say try to do new things, but like the wall walk was really, it was important to have because of, I wanted to do something that had minimal gear and was accessible to everyone. And I knew the wall walk would be accessible to a lot of people. Uh, not everyone, but to a lot of people, you know, handstand walk in that phase in week one would not have been like handstand walk would have been too much. Yes, you could do it with no gear, but like that's you have to be pretty good to do that. You know, I think we see the same thing at the level three test. It's the people that fall and think they've recreated CrossFit, you know, that fail the level three test or that don't do as well because they're doing things like the curls or trying to find the next cool thing rather than focusing on this is the shit that works, couplets and triplets, go heavy once in a while. And if you if you live your life there, you're going to be successful. And speaking of programming, I don't know if you have any recollection of this, but back in the day when you ran regionals, you programmed the workings. So you, me, and Tony Budding were on a call and I was going over the workouts that I created and you hear my workouts and this you asked me this question, you go, why do you hate CrossFit? And I think, and I think, you know, it was because I was like, let's do Turkish get-ups and let's do all this nonsense rather than just sticking to it. What's what's one workout that to this day you're like, I'm super proud of that workout? And what's wor one workout that maybe you wish wouldn't have made it out to the public for the open or regionals or the games? For the games, definitely we did this uh hand push-up. Is it? No, 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 I, that, I don't, that was, I don't feel that way about that one. The GHD med ball toss maybe where we had this ramp where Bill, Bill made this ramp where the ball would come down and throw. The baseball throw, although it was great entertainment, seeing people like Spiel and not, Kalipa not be able to throw a ball. Uh, that one, I don't think, I wasn't too excited about. Um, uh, some of my favorite, I like the core, straight up core. The, the 10 rounds of thrusters and double unders at the games that was a riff off the open workout that had the uh, 
men's weight for the women and a higher weight for the uh, men. Um, even at Ad Atlanta this year was a favorite. Um, there's a bunch that are favorites that I don't like, that I didn't like. Let's see what else, what I didn't, didn't what else did I not like? So you, you like the thruster double under, the 10 rounder? Yeah, I like the expression of it at the games because the women ended up doing it. There was, I forgot what the percentage was, but the top, the fastest times was like in the top four or 5%, I think, of, of all the men times in the open with the same weight, which is fascinating and significant. Um, I did like that one a lot. I judged Scott Panchik on that workout. And this is a, I, I recall that workout and I give it to people like of what it takes to be at that level. That dude was gone. Like he was not there on the floor. And I was just saying, move, like go to the next thing. But if I would have been like, not run through that wall, he would have been like, right. Through. It was impressive to see someone performing at such a high level. The clean and jerk of the games two years ago was it was a favorite just because it was everyone's favorite. The, the, anytime we do the weightlifting stuff, those are like layups. Like, hey, I'm, I'm not, I can't think of a workout to put right here. Well, what's going to be something the fans are going to fucking love? Put weightlifting in. Yeah. Put, put a one rep max. I mean, let me rephrase it. Put a heavy weightlifting event in. Everyone always rallies behind and loves that. A few years ago, we did the pegboard interval workout, whereas pegboard, um, Thruster. Skier, I think, and, and overhead squat, maybe. And you had like three minutes and you did as much as you could. Oh, and yeah. You back, and you went back and you went back. And then at the end, you had to finish a fixed number of total reps. That one, I really like. I wish I remember it exactly. I remember you had to complete 75 overhead squats. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the one where Tittle made a little bit of a mistake <laughs> out there. I like that one because of the process of creating it. We, we, I had this facility in Carlsbad when I was living down there called Yarrow. It was the street it was on. And I remember putting so many athletes through this concept that I had in retesting and retesting. Julian, I think Dan Bailey, Julian Alcarez. Uh, there were some female athletes we had go through it. And to try to get the stimulus right, and then for each round, we ended up deciding on three or four rounds, whatever it was. And I was like, okay, each one will be three minutes and you're gonna try for max reps. And then in one of the testing sessions of creating it, when we're on the final one and they're just trying to get as many as they can, I was like, well, wait a minute. Why not have it be a sum of the previous for, for the final round becomes trying to get a total number of reps, which is the 75 and, and uh, that's how that came to be, but the process to get there was really fun and rewarding. And it was just so many iterations of putting people through it. <laughs> and and uh, I would do that a lot. Like people would test things, oh, I still do a lot. People test single events over and over and over. And it's like, stop, we're gonna change this. And we're gonna do this instead. And I look and I watch and I see how they're responding to it, how the stimulus is hitting them. And I, I make changes to test off of that feedback. And then I discussed a lot of times with the testers, when we're done, I discussed the uh, events to see what they think. And sometimes they sit there and just like, yeah, that's pretty good. I'm like, in my mind, okay, that wasn't, that's not it. <laughs> like When they're on the ground, I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, okay, that's better. But then there's times when I'm like, okay, that's not what I want here in this stage. I don't want them completely dead. So maybe I need to back off. Well, I love workouts like that too, where you have to be a little 
methodical. And that's the one also where Noah blew up. Yeah, exactly. There was, there was one other thing I want to talk about in terms of something that can go right. I like to work out a lot, but I didn't get the time cap right. Um, it was the handstand push-up deadlift. I'm sorry, handstand push-up kettlebell deadlift, really heavy kettlebells. And then I think we had the walk at the end. Fibonacci, that was called? Fibonacci final. So when I created a workout or a test for the games, there's like three categories of, of uh, with in perspective of time cap. I want everyone to finish it. I want 50% of the field to finish it, or I want very few people to finish it. The intent was this with the final, with a final in general, I think you should have at least 50% or more finish. Um, it shouldn't have been 100% finish, but it should have been a 50% or more. Well, as it was going, the first heat went and nobody finished it. And I was like, oh shit, this isn't what I wanted. The second heat went of men, nobody finished it. And I was like, fuck, like in testing, the few people we had tested all finished in, in the time cap. And the thing is, when I say an athlete doesn't finish, it's very rarely that they're not finishing because of their capabilities, meaning any of these can be finished by these guys. They're not finishing because of an artificial time cap we put in place. So with that artificial time cap that we put in place, do I want 100% finish, do I want 50% finish, or do I want a few to finish? Well, what ended up happening is someone in the second heat, one guy in the second heat finished, and then Frazier in the final heat was the only other guy to finish. And he, so two people finished this and I was like, that was not what I wanted. I wanted an, a test that like at least 50% of the field, maybe even 30 to 40 finished, but not two guys finishing. So I always kick myself over that one. Is that why you re retested it a year later? Yeah, that's one of the reasons, yeah. And you've done that a few times where not only, it, it really just shows the evolution of fitness too. How pe the, the pegboard was a great example as well for the females where very few can do a pegboard climb and then the next year, almost everyone can do it. And then even to, to, to look at that on another level, the first CrossFit Games workout ever, that row a thousand, don't yeah. even compare, don't compare it to this year's because this year's was not that. But the row a thousand and, um, and then when we repeated it four or five years ago at the Games, everyone except for like one guy was faster than the fastest time when we did it in 2007. That's pretty cool, you know? That's, and that's the point of retest and seeing how, how far an individual has come and how far a community has come. Yeah, I remember you called it 2007 and I remember doing it at the box and being faster than like most of those, maybe in, rather than like OPT or one of the best at that year, you know, being faster than them. Well, yeah. Last couple of questions. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Dave, but your penmanship and your understanding of whiteboard size is probably your biggest weakness. Have you have you ever considered doing a practice round before going live in an open announcement? Two things. Uh, I think my I think I've mastered the whiteboard space. So I I object to that. I think my penmanship is poor, but that's part of the show. And when I do that, that that board and that I had rehearsed no less than fifty times. So every single thing I did that minus the quality of the penmanship was by design. You can ask people um, 30 minutes before that, before we went live at five, 30, 40 minutes, 
I was doing multiple reps of that exact thing. Over, even the big chalk lines down, like there was not a single thing in there that wasn't very deliberate or, uh, or rehearsed. So I do rehearse. I know it's ugly, but it, it's part of it. Yeah, I, you know, your arrows and everything go into the, I, I followed it, but we were like, her and I were talking like, does he practice this? Because this could have looked a little bit better. You, <laughs> I practice. You, you officially have the CrossFit record for shortest time as CEO. Yes. What, what's one thing that the CrossFit community as a whole missed out on by not, have, by not having a longer TDC reign? Oh man, I had so many like changes, so many things that I wanted to put in place right away. And we're just driving, I mean, even in the short time that I was there, like there were some things that I did that were pretty powerful that still to this day we're doing. Uh, for example, the scholarship program. And um, another thing, you know, it was easy, but increased communications at the time with affiliates, we started the newsletter up. Um, and the scholarship program was, and still is a big hit because of how it, you know, we're not, we're not giving anything. We're not giving money to causes, but we're giving a tool and we're giving, um, we're changing people's lives with the magic that is CrossFit. And to me, that was a, that was a powerful thing to do. I, I'm a man of action and I like to put shit in place and make teams and make us do things. And I was just primed and ready to just, start having us do so many other cool things and great things that would have resonated well in the community. Um, because because I've lived in this community for 15 years. But the thing is, what happened was, I knew right away, like five or six days into that being CEO, I knew that Greg was talking to Eric and like that sale was moving. And I was like, wow, this is gonna be really fucking short. And so um, I had to slow up and just kind of, um, get into a maintenance mode because to not jeopardize the sale. And for the record, I was on the call. Seminar staff was excited. We were really excited about it. And a lot of people knowing that, you know, we have a relationship, seminar has a relationship with you, ask about you. And one thing I always, always say about Dave Castro is you're an amazing leader and you're the type of person that whether you speak to him or not, you know he's got your back. And I don't know if you remember this story, but it was at the CrossFit Games on the tennis court. And I forget the workout. There's handstand push-ups and score, like, you know, the flip cards that go out to kind of keep track of rounds? They didn't make it out. And you, I was running the tennis court. And you yell, Ackerman, get them out there. I'm like, all right, get them out there. And within 30 seconds of the next year, you're like, Ackerman, get them off the floor. And I'm immediately running back, getting them off the floor. You know, no questions asked. The very next day, the day after the CrossFit Games ended, I had an email in my inbox from you saying something to the extent of like, thanks for dealing with me during that stressful time. And I think that's something that doesn't get recognized about. You know, you see the persona at the open, et cetera, but you are that type of person that you expect a lot from people, but when you get it, you appreciate it. Does that... Yeah. Does that come from your military background? And it, it, is there anything that you have from your military background that continues to influence who you are as a person today? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like my 20s were defined by that phase. I, I joined the military at 18 or 19, actually at yeah, 18 or 19. And I went right into 
the community that I was in for 12 years. And so throughout my 20s, still my early 30s, when I got out and started working for CrossFit, that was very formative of who I am today. And we had to perform at such a high level. And we had to, I expected the guys to the left and right to also perform at a high level because I'm working to perform at my highest level. And so that's carried over. It's, it's how I work with people in CrossFit. I give it my all and I expect people to give their all and, and not, um, not take shortcuts or not take the easy path to success, but to actually do the right thing and work hard to work hard as a team to get to a successful place. So yeah, a lot of who I am is because of that phase of my life and the people I learned from there and, um, and what was just beat into me, not physically, but was just ingrained into me through the training and through the teamwork and through the things we had to do. If it wasn't for Greg and him giving me the opportunity to, uh, to get out and work full-time for CrossFit, I for sure would have stayed in the Navy for 20 years. I loved what I did there. I also think I would have probably been killed in combat because, and I say, I don't, I, I mean that because at that time we were really heavily involved. And um, that's why I say with no joke or no hesitation, Greg saved my life because he gave me the ability to leave the military at 12 years in a very intense time and work full time for CrossFit. And uh, I do appreciate that because again, I loved what I did, but we lost a lot of people in, in that phase. There was a lot going on and I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have been happy not going back and doing those things. So. It, it's hard. I think it's, it's challenging now because we all have an immense, you know, respect for what Greg created. And I think for so many of us, my life, I'm married because of him. You know, I met my wife at a level one, you know, all, I have so many opportunities because of him. And then everything, obviously that happened, it's challenging, but you know, I I've done my best to tell people like, Hey, you can dislike a person or, or an action of them, but you can't take away everything they've done because yeah. you're listening to this podcast because of him. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Last question. Now that you've been on best hour of their day, do you feel the need to go on the Joe Rogan podcast? <laughs> no, I'm not interested in going in Joe now. You've been on the top. You've been on the top. There's no need to go down. Yep. You know, we this podcast is listened to primarily from by box owners and level one trainers and, and coaches out there. Before we wrap up, any advice for them to just continue to grow, to continue to grow the CrossFit community and to continue to change lives? Yeah, for CrossFit coaches and for trainers in general, be patient and believe in the system and believe in yourself in the system. And don't try to rush, rush and take shortcuts to success. The work has to be put in as a trainer or as an affiliate to, uh, to get you to the next level. And don't be afraid to put in that work. And at this point, there's so many people even within CrossFit on our training staff and even outside of our training staff and in the community that are great resources to learn from and never stop learning. It's cliche, but I mean this. And I used to tell people, sometimes we get feedback from seminars, uh, seminar participants, not often, but sometimes where I didn't learn anything at this course. This was a waste of my time or, or something along those lines. And it always baffled me because Every single seminar I ever go to, level one or any, no matter what, no matter how many I've been to, in the case of level one, no matter how many I've been to, no matter if I go for five minutes, I learn something. 
And it might not be from the material. It might be from a way uh, that a presenter is giving a lecture. It might be from the way someone's using a whiteboard, but I learned something. And learning is all about wanting to learn. You have to go into an environment wanting to have an open mind and consume. So those people who say I didn't learn anything, that's a fucking indictment on yourself. <laughs> you went in with a closed mind and you chose not to learn. Don't be that way. Always be willing to learn from everyone and everything. And then doesn't mean just because you learn it doesn't mean you have to use it, but take it in and understand it. And, and that's the best advice I can give to trainers and uh, affiliate owners is see, keep learning, keep wanting to grow, keep wanting to challenge yourself and be patient with it. And, be paid and go through the natural progressions. I think that's solid advice. And we really appreciate you coming on episode 400. Thanks for all you do, Dave. Like we've said, you are, you know, often misunderstood, I think, out there in the CrossFit world. But, you know, that advice and everything you just told us throughout this episode is, is phenomenal. We appreciate you. And thanks for all you do. Thanks a lot, Jason. So you never miss an episode of the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and on all major podcasting platforms at best hour of their day. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being a part of the best hour of our day. See you next time. You've heard me talk about it before, and I'm truly not joking. I'm being 100% genuine. I love Doc Spartan products. I use it every day. I talk about the Sex Panther beard bomb. That's literally what is in my beard right now. And I use all of the scrubs. My favorite being the coffee scrub, just in the shower, gives you the tingles, gives you the feels. I love it. And there's so many other great products. I use their deodorant. I've used their hand care when I've had tears. Just check them out. It's veteran owned, you know, guy that was in the military serving our country, Dale. I got to know him over the years and he's just a great dude. And I started buying his products and he reached out to me and said, hey, we wanna support the show and we appreciate it. And I just want you guys to not only support Doc Spartan and Dale, but also reap the benefits. If you wanna be sexy like me, then you wanna check out Doc Spartan products, 15% off with the code best hour, that's best hour, for 15% off anything at their website, docspartan.com. Check out the coffee scrub and definitely check out the beard balm. And ladies, there's stuff for you too. So head on over to docspartan.com, use the code BESTHOUR and save 15%.